Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. What's up, everyone? This is the Mary Jane Experience. I am Strawberry Sequoia alongside my very handsome co-host, Casey Jones. What it do, what it do, kids. So this week, Casey Jones took the reins on an interview. I was so scared. That's really. right. He was terrified, did a horrible job. You should stop listening right now, you motherfucker. It's my livelihood. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But <laughs> it was not that bad. It was actually really good. So Casey Jones interviewed the son of a very famous cannabis activist. I did. Jack Herrer. So, yeah. So Jack Herrer was a extremely famous um, cannabis activist back in the day. I got the chance to interview his son, Dan Herrer, who's an extremely interesting individual. It was kind of funny talking to him after talking to Aaliyah Voles. Because her mom was a little bit part of that uh, that time frame. Yeah. If you we will. give Casey all the activists. Yeah, of course. Um, so no, it was it was very interesting talking to him. We covered, you know, what it was like to kind of grow up with his dad, his dad's story, which is incredible. No, so we talked about uh, his dad's story, which is an incredible, like full hundred and eighty degree turn. Uh, his dad started out as actually a military MP, police officer, eventually got to smoking some cannabis through meeting some people and divorce and things like that. A sexy like. young lady. Um, there's Works always, every time. There's always a good looking woman. Should have seen him when Casey man. Jones met me. He was so straight edge. <laughs> he had never done anything. And I was like, if you want in this world. Yikes. I was going to say something completely <laughs> different, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. Anyway. I'm going to go there. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, extremely interesting. And then we got into uh, what he's doing uh, with the Jack Herrer Foundation, kind of why he started that. Um, now Dan Herrer's um, role as an activist in the cannabis space and then the cannabis world in general. So it's always interesting talking to somebody like Dan Herrer, the son of Jack Herrer, who has been fully ingrained in the pro-cannabis movement almost since its beginning and inception and and finding out the kind of trials and tribulations that even his dad went through as a cannabis activist you know even um groups like normal thought that jack hair was even a not, normal. not normal not <laughs> normal <laughs> nice. dad jokes all that i mean come on yeah had to lay up but seriously <clears throat> seeing like not only his passion but his like true belief that cannabis and and really specifically hemp, Hera was known as as the hemperer, seeing his b true belief that this can change the world. Yeah, his his dad has a great quote, and and he'll talk about it a little bit later. But the quote is, "I'm not saying hemp is going to save the world, but it's the only thing that can." And we Ooh, go into like all the reasons sexy. why. And kind of how we now, as the new generation of uh, pro-cannabis, anybody in the cannabis industry at this point, are pro-cannabis activists, and how it's up to us to, you know, kind of maintain the legacy of of old Grandpa Jack Herrer, uh, "The Emperor Wears No Clothes," is the book that he wrote in 1994. Um, goes through just all the manner of <laughs> like 
why hemp is important and how it was re-legalized for the World War II effort. And then again, like illegalized afterwards and, you know, how hemp has persisted. It was the sails on sailboats. That's how we sailed to the main or to the new world. You know, it was the clothes on people's backs. Now it's moved. It was the first car that Henry Ford made. And now uh, his friend Bruce was supposed to join us. Who's actually making hemp composite cars. Um, but he unfortunately couldn't make it. So we go into a little bit of that, how hemp's going to change, help, or how hemp could be the one thing that changed the world, so long as we take the reins and do it right. Uh, so just a great conversation. This one we're just going to let play through because we dove into so many things. The the scene in California, you know, what uh, governmentally needs to change. And then his 1, 5, and 10 is drastically different than everybody else's so definitely stay and wait for that i think it was really interesting we got into it at the end there too so it was a great conversation uh from a great man in the cannabis industry uh son of a a, one of the greatest men um who kind of helped lead the charge for us so here is my conversation with dan Herrer, son of jack Herrer, the emperor Today's episode is brought to you by Tokativity, the global cannabis community for women. Tokativity hosts experiential events that focus on female empowerment and cannabis normalization through creative, social, political, and feminist forward activities in the local chapters across the globe. Their nonprofit social club works to empower women at the root level by creating social, interactive, and creative environments with a focus on plant-based medicine for women to explore personal and professional growth in a space away from the male gaze. Join the movement today at tokativity.com connect. history this man needs no introduction neither does his father but just in case we are here talking with dan Herr, son of a famed cannabis enthusiast and activist jack Herr. dan thank you so much for joining the podcast how are we doing i'm doing very well how are you doing this afternoon ah considering the new normal is very crazy eh, pretty all right i can't complain and nobody would want to listen even if i did um (laughs) so so jack or sorry dan First fumble of the interview. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> For those of you who are unfamiliar with your father, Jack, could you just give us a little kind of overview of his life, his importance to cannabis, um, and maybe even just touch on his book, The Emperor Wears No Cloak. Well, um, my my father uh, started off uh, a, a young. Uh, bright kid in Buffalo, New York, um, believed everything that the government ever said, uh, you know, became a military MP in the Korean War, 
and uh, believed that America was the greatest country on earth and would never lie or deceive its citizens. That, uh, you know, they were always uh, the most righteous and the most correct and, and the most, um, you know, representative when it comes to the ideas of America, you know, freedom, liberty, you know, truth, justice, all of these things. And uh, his views on cannabis growing up were that of what he was taught because he believed in this government and its message. And its message was that cannabis was, you know, for all intents and purposes, the most dangerous plant on the planet and that anybody using it um, was, was therefore uh, evil, the devil, or, um, you know, the like. And... <clears throat> Uh, he married, uh, my mom had three kids, and uh, after their divorce, uh, he found my mother smoking cannabis. Um, uh, after she had come home from work, um, she was smoking cannabis, and they were already living separately, and he came over to drop off money or whatever for her child support or something, mm -hmm. and found my, uh, found my mom smoking cannabis, and he couldn't believe that she was smoking uh, pot in a house where his kids slept wow. and he was literally thinking of turning my mother into uh, the authorities uh, for her to go to jail. Um, he, he thought that those who smoked cannabis, um, those who were anti-war protesters, those who were, who were hippies uh, should all be taken out and summarily shot. Thanks. Um, and uh, that was his belief. That's what he grew up. Just like many of those who stand against us today and don't understand what cannabis is because they don't understand the truth. They only know what they were taught, right? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> if your information is only what the government and, and media tells you, then that is your point of reference. That was my father's. Um, so he was living in an apartment building at that time. He um, confided in somebody who was a law student mm -hmm. um, who also he had a crush on but unfortunately uh, for him she also consumed cannabis so he asked the question anyway this is my dilemma my wife is my ex-wife is smoking cannabis and or marijuana in a house with my kids mm -hmm. I think I have to turn her in and she told my father that he was out of his fucking mind that he didn't understand what it is that he was talking about and his truth was not the truth. Mm. And um, that, you know, he really needed to educate himself. Um, well, uh, besides not educating himself immediately, he still wanted to date this girl. And she mm. said, Jack, you're too square for me. If you want to hang out, you're going to have to smoke some marijuana with me. Yeah. Well, after, uh, a bit of time, my father engaged in cannabis with her, had an experience. Um, mm -hmm. And when they talk about, uh, you know, you, a leopard can't change his spots. Well, apparently, you know, my father did. Um, because after that experience, he had the greatest experience listening to music or eating food or having uh, intimacy with the woman that he had ever in his life at this at this point he's already 29 30 years old mm -hmm. and he was like well if this was my experience and it's so diametrically opposed to what it is that i knew then what's wrong with this picture mm -hmm. and so he was like 
how could this plant be illegal when I just had that experience? Yeah. And he was upset because he felt that when he started educating himself, he felt betrayed by this country. He felt that he would been lied to, that he had been misled, that he had um, defamed other people because of his own beliefs uh, based on his education. And he set out to change that. One, he started writing about cannabis uh, in the early 1970s. He started supporting uh, cannabis legalization, which he did in 1972 with the original Prop 19, which in California was the first initiative to legalize cannabis since Prohibition. Oh, wow. And uh, it, all, it got 38% of the vote in 1972 during the Nixon administration, um, wow. which was per- fairly significant. Yeah. Um, I mean, time, that's, that's pretty big. <clears throat> so he then... Uh, became the proponent of every cannabis initiative in the state of California up through 1996's Proposition 215, which he was supportive of Dennis Perrone's uh, initiative. Yeah. Uh, my father had an initiative in that same year, but mm-hmm. my father put down that initiative and joined Dennis. Okay, got it. Uh, and then he continued on uh, in other cannabis initiatives in 2000, 2004, 2008. And then, you know, he passed in 2010. So, um, but during that time, uh, in, in the 1980s, uh, he wrote a, a pretty infamous book um, that was, um, in, in many respects, it was a catalyst for the marijuana movement. You know, it was... It was a document that for the first time illustrated and, and documented all the things that we believed cannabis is, would, would, and could be. And with that power that was in this book, that, you know, folks in other states, folks here in California started finding their voice because now they could stand up against those who would oppose their opinion and their, and their evidence and say, this is the truth. This is my truth. This is the truth of cannabis. And through that, the, the hemp and cannabis industries or the, at this, at that point is the communities, mm-hmm. you know, because this has all been, it's always been community first commodity second. Right. Yeah. And the cannabis community, whether they were just engaging in cannabis, growing cannabis, selling cannabis, transporting, whatever it was that they were doing, mm-hmm. This gave them truth for the first time that was crystallizing in, 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 in a way to defend themselves and to fight for this plant. Yeah. And um, it became, um, in a sense, the Cannabis and Hemp Bible. It, gave, it was that book that you went to and like, hey, this is the truth. And you turn to whichever page it was that <clears throat> correlated to what you were describing to somebody and you were able to show them on, in this book uh, how powerful this real, true, documented information was. Yeah. And uh, with that, you could potentially take an adversary and turn them into an advocate. And it takes a long time for people to break down their ideas of what they know because if they know it, then they feel, they feel that they've learned it and they're smart enough to know that, you know, what's real and what's not. 
Mm -hmm. So to admit that something is wrong and that you were miseducated, it's a large transition from understanding that you were miseducated to then representing the truth. And some in today's society still cling to the misrepresentation because it's easier than admitting that you were hoodwinked. Yeah. And that's what's happening in governments today is that governments go, <laughs> okay, cannabis is good for this, this, and this, but it's still dangerous and we still want to control it and nobody's ever died from it, but it's <laughs> really dangerous and we need to keep it away from kids and, and, and something else. And I'll tell you about that later as soon as we can figure out how else we can hoodwink you. But yeah, we need yeah. you to continue <clears throat> to believe that it's the most dangerous substance known to mankind. And you need to listen to us. But here's a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of beer. So good luck. <laughs> yeah. At the 7-Eleven across the street from the school that, that kids are getting out of. Right. <clears throat> oh. Right? But no, cannabis no. needs to get, the cannabis needs a 500-foot, uh, you, know, um, <laughs> you know, pathway. Zoning laws are something we could spend hours on, for sure. And yeah. how arbitrary. So, so, but, but, but this, is, this is the whole this is the whole thing, you know, is, you know, my father's life wasn't that. Uh, of a grower. My father's life was that of a preacher, you know, yeah. and uh, his book was that Bible and is that Bible today. And that's one of the reasons why we're, we're, we're talking is because for the first time in 35 years, and yes, mm -hmm. this book is 35 <clears throat> years old, Wow! but it's still as important today as the day that it was written. In fact, even more important because yeah. now we have access to developing cannabis. Absolutely. With real understanding. Yeah. And what, and what a 180 to go from being a military MP, which the police officer in the military, if you don't know, and <clears throat> shifting to becoming a part of this counterculture movement, if you will, that even today is still considered counterculture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously in states like Colorado and California, it's a little bit more, um, uh, which we call it mainstream culture at this point, but it is still absolutely counterculture, not only here in America, but the world over. Um, and it's interesting because we had the chance to talk to Alia Bowles, whose mom sold brownies in San Francisco in like the late seventies and early eighties. And she was telling stories about like, about your father and, and Perone and how all these things were going down. And so it's so interesting to hear that like like you as the children of that movement very literally um how how you perceive it all and how how it's kind of you're just you're just still carrying that same conversation through um and i think it's awesome because there's there is there is an immense amount of truth to something that even though in the face of adversity you know it's good it's loving it's community based like you were saying so yeah i think that's just awesome you know, and, and today we, we, have, we have a real disconnect and a real problem within this community today mm -hmm. because, you know, we have all of these, and I say, you know, youngsters or kids or young adults, whatever, um, that have grown up since, you know, 1996 when we started having access to cannabis and they've grown up now 24 years, mm -hmm. right? And 24 years of having access. So they don't really understand what the fight was. They don't understand um, what it really took to get to the point that we're at today. Mm. And one of the problems is that they don't have the education of why this plant is and why it should be. They, they know that, it, that, that they like it. They know that they, 
um, can make products from it. They know that they can make a living from it. And today their focus is how do I monetize this to take care of my family or to become wealthy or whatever the reasons are. And there are many, many who still believe in this plant as the medicinal plant that it is that can be commoditized, yeah. right? That it's there for this community to build on, to, to, to build with, but it is here to serve the community. There are people with that mindset, but without the education, you know, it's, it's sort of like when you go to church mm -hmm. and, you know, the choir starts singing and everybody picks up their books, the, 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 the you know, the songs that they're going to sing mm -hmm. and every, you know, everybody's like either they're not singing all the words or they got this, they got the first part, they got the hook, but, you know, <laughs> and, and it's like when, when I go out and I, and I start talking to people about education and history, they go like, oh, you're preaching to the choir. And yeah. I'm like, well, maybe so. But in this case, the choir doesn't know the songs. Yeah. You know? oh, that's a good and, way. And so if you're in the cannabis community, if you're embracing this plant and allowing it to give what it has to you for you to share, then you really should embrace the knowledge that it also brings with it. And so when you're building your companies, that you're building your companies with a full understanding of its possibilities and its importance not just to the future, but, but to, to right now and to what it has been in the creation of this country. And in fact, the world economic situation mm -hmm. has all for thousands and thousands of years been cannabis hemp has been a part of the development of all things economic around the world, even until today. Yeah. It's funny, we were um, just watching Dazed and Confused and there's that whole rant that the kid goes on and he's like, George Washington smoked weed, man. He saw it as a great cash crop for the South. And it's a comedic statement, but there's some truth to that, right? You know, the Declaration of Independence was written on hemp. Um, <clears throat> and so it is interesting how, how because of prohibition, we do have that disconnect to the history, which well, you answered the next question. Because I was going to say, why revisit book? But there you go. <laughs> know where you came from, kids. Um, yes. <clears throat> but I got to ask, do you, is there a story behind the nickname The Hemper? <laughs> you mean my father being like named The Hemper? Mm -hmm. Like, Jack, yeah. you're The Hemper. Jack, you're The Hemper, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's a story behind that so much like somebody, you know, anointed my father, the emperor, you know, I don't, I don't think it was like that. Um, but the, the reality is, is when my father started educating himself, mm -hmm. he became more educated than those who were fighting for the rights of people to smoke cannabis. Uh, and, and I'm, and I'm talking uh, mainly about the, 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 the folks that started normal uh, Keith Strupp, and uh, Bruce Margolin here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, my father became too radical. My father was <laughs> considered bad for cannabis because his views were so extreme. And the, the extreme views was my father, um, during his understanding uh, that, he be, that he enlightened himself with through you know, deep diving into history, he realized that hemp was the most important crop on this entire planet. If there was one crop that you could use for, I mean, if you think about the tree of life, mm. think, of, think about what plant can build a home, 
clothe you, feed you, create your medicine, create your books and Bibles, all of these things, you know, to create a world with cannabis, it touches everything that we are, you know, it gives us everything that we need. So if there's any one plant that ha that really has that is, is cannabis. And my father said, you know, I'm not saying that hemp is going to save the world, but it's the only thing that can. And that was such an extreme thought that the people that were fighting for cannabis thought that that was dangerous because how could anybody declare that cannabis, that hemp could save the world? We have armies for that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Right. We have armies. We have missiles. We can send missiles out there and save the world from, you know, for democracy. Uh, How could a plant save the world? Yeah. But when you think about it, what what plant can create the oxygen that we breathe? What plant can clean the skies? You know, what plant can clean, clean our oceans and our grounds? What plant? Yeah. What plant does this? No other plant does this. It's good point. At the scale that cannabis does. And yeah. so my father was shunned within this space. Mm. But after, you know, years and years and years after this book came out and people started educating themselves and really started going, well, maybe I will read Jack's book. Yeah. And then going, holy crap, I didn't know. You know, it, it took about, it took about eight or 10 years before those who would have thought that my father uh, was this great distraction hmm. and realized that, that he was more of a prophet. Hmm. You know, he, the words that he had, the thought processes that he had were, were that of relevance to how we live and how we could live. Yeah. And that became a very, very powerful message, not only to hear, but to embrace. Mm -hmm. And even those who shunned my father, like normal and like other groups um, that were just strictly looking at how do we legalize, how do we stop people from going to jail? Yeah. My father was like, if you knew the truth about cannabis, how could you possibly put anybody in jail? Yeah. Starting so if you educate yourself, yeah. Yeah. You know, don't litigate yourself out of trouble. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself out of trouble. Knowledge is power. Um, <clears throat> to that end, uh, and to shift gears a little bit, um, we're missing Bruce, who's going to join us on this call. That's okay. We'll get him on another time. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you're up to. How are you kind of taking that, that, that ethos and putting it into practice? Um, oh, man. What you got going on. <laughs> well, my, my, my father left uh, a lot undone. Um, and, and that I would say it's, it wasn't purposely, it's just that there's just a lot to do. Yeah. And, uh, when his voice was silenced by his passing, yeah. um, there was a great void in my life. There was a great void in many people's lives because yeah. the voice that had inspired many of us, including me, my father inspired me. It's not that I have, uh, you know, just because he was my father, I think he was great. I think the things that he did made him great. And I didn't realize that he was my hero until after he had passed. I didn't, I didn't make that correlation because I was always just this kid. Mm -hmm. But then when I realized that the work that he was doing, the time that he was spending away from this family as we were growing up, was so important that he would, that he would sacrifice this, these relationships 
in order to serve a greater good, and that was humanity. And it took me a while to really understand that because uh, as his voice silenced, I felt uh, the great need to express mine. Mm. And then I started finding out that my voice was similar to his. My, fa my father was just a, a, a bear and mm. he was, uh, he was unwielding and uh, unyielding. And, you know, he, he was fierce and unstoppable. And when he spoke, he spoke uh, a lot out of anger because it was so frustrating to see people incarcerated for something uh, like cannabis. Yeah. And so for me, uh, I, the first thing I did was try to educate folks. So I started the Jack Herrer Foundation. Mm -hmm. And I quickly realized that starting a foundation and funding a foundation is <laughs> so different. <laughs> so money doesn't grow. Um, yet. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something that just doesn't, there's something that just doesn't match up there. Yeah. So uh, I started the foundation regardless and I funded it, uh, you know, through myself and, and, and my wife and just, you know, whatever I could. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that as cannabis was starting to become, I would say not legal because right now it's still more like paid access, not really like legal. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's still kind of fuzzy. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I realized that, you know, there were so many folks out there that had just co-opted my father's name uh, and started using it for themselves. And that this family, um, was really uh, the the keeper of of that 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 legacy that he built with his name mm -hmm. and the importance of of what he did as a human within this space uh, should really be um, driven by this family. So I started a cannabis company, mm -hmm. and. Um, I figured if, if cannabis was going to be sold with my father's name, that it should benefit this family. And, you know, because it came out of a very dark time as far as uh, ec economics, you know, it came from an, an industry where it's like, yo, I got, I got a couple of packs in my trunk and you're going to sell it and, you know, move back and forth and like yeah. whatever the genetic was. And mm -hmm. the fact that this genetic, you know, there was a genetic that was named Jack Herrer you know, that people okay. said, Hey, I've been growing, I've been growing this for 10 years. It belongs to me. <laughs> well, you know, if you were growing your own medicine and your medicine was called Jack Herrer, mm -hmm. then grow, grow your medicine called Jack Herrer. Yeah. But if you take that and then you put it into a commercial market, mm -hmm. now you're selling something that doesn't belong to you because my father's name belonged to this family. And, mm -hmm. and, and so I started a cannabis company to protect go. that. And, you know, my father has a widow. He has six children. He now has three grandchildren. Mm. And they're going to have children. And they're going to have children. And their names are all Herrer. Now, if everybody else on the planet used the name but this family, and we got to watch other people put their kids through college yeah. uh, on his name, then, then that would be a sad thing for somebody who gave us all this opportunity uh, or help to give us all this opportunity to, to monetize this plant and, and lift up communities to be deprived of being able to make a living themselves. Yeah. So I started a cannabis company with that idea and, uh, it has been a rough road. 
Yeah, the, the start of it, we hear it across the board, um, you know, starting a cannabis company, it's not the green rush that everybody thought it was going to be, you know, and, and, and a perfect example is you look at the conglomerates that got in and there's this stock market, you could buy into cannabis and it's going to be the next big thing. It was just like, everybody loves it. And, and it's just going to be a rocky road until we have, you know, expungement and federal legalization. The FDA night is on board. It's just going to be a rocky road, right? Like no matter but what. Here's, I completely get that. And, and when you look at that and, and today, those industries, those, 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 financial communities that came into cannabis in order to try to help this become an actual commodity, which yeah. it's still becoming. Yeah. But, but the reality is this, if everything that we're doing today mm -hmm. in the cannabis industry, it doesn't even matter which state, it's just all various varying degrees of crazy. Yeah. But if, if the foundation of doing business in each and every one of these states is still predicated on the lies and falsehoods of prohibition mm. and it's still prohibition if if a city will allow somebody to grow cannabis within their city limits within their county lines within their mm. state they go okay well you know what it's illegal you know but you voted it in um, we're going to support you but we're going to take 50 percent of the money that you make before you even make money yeah and any place that you go do business, we're going to charge you three to five times more for the space. Because if you were selling flowers, that square footage would be a buck. But <laughs> you're selling cannabis and we want a piece of it. We want $5 a square foot. And then the cities come in and go, wait a minute, you're going to put some greenhouses and you're going to grow 100,000 square feet of greenhouse. We're going to charge you, let me see, we're going to charge you $8 a square foot or, you know, maybe $10 a square foot in tax yeah. for your canopy. And then when you want to transport it on our streets, we're going to charge you another fine for, <laughs> for distributing it on our streets. And we say, let me see, what else can you, oh, you know what we're also <laughs> going to do? We're going to ask you to put in security surveillance systems in all of your businesses and then we want you to pipe that into our offices so we can watch what you're doing at work because we want to know where our money is. Is that a real you know, you drug dealers, You drug dealers need to be kept in line, but you're going to have to pay for that surveillance. Is that happening? Oh, wait a minute. And, and wait a minute. If, if you do sell cannabis and it's, since it's all in cash, you have to keep all of that cash in the state licensed address in which you filed your license. So we know where the money is kept after you get it. And we're going to post that on the, on, the, on the community website. So everybody in the world knows that there's a cannabis business there and that the law requires you to carry all your cash at your facility. Not that that doesn't make it dangerous for you or anybody else that works for you. That's insane. So, so the reality is all of these people would be able to make money, mm -hmm. but the cities, the counties, and the states of each of these municipalities are so busy extorting the money right off the top that there's no money for profit or growth and that you can't spend your way out of it. You mm -hmm. people, I mean, you look at all of the money that's come in. And they brought in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to the industry. And they're all like, holy crap, what went wrong? This was supposed to be awesome. 
But when, when you're working, you know, after expenses and after employees and after insurance and after taxes and after, you know, permit fees, I mean, permit fees, $100,000, permit fees, a half a million dollars, permit fees, even if you're not using them, right? Jesus. I mean, if, if cannabis were a fucking tomato, a tomato would be illegal. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? If, if, yeah. if, if a tomato did what cannabis did, the mm-hmm. tomato would be illegal. Well, this comes up in conversation a lot with people that we talk to because <clears throat> it, at the end of the day, it's a plant. And it's interesting it's how state by state they've regulated it differently because in California, I was just talking to a friend of mine. He's like, if anybody actually read the legislation, the legislation is nuts. And you just broke it down perfectly. Because it's like the state wants to skim it all off the top before anybody can ever make a dollar. No wonder there's no green rush. Yep. Uh, yes. You look at states like Ohio, they tried to legalize and they're like, we're going to do this, but we're only going to allow five people to grow. And that's it. And the right. state was like, nope. And then you look at <clears throat> other, I mean, I think it has to do with population. Colorado is just a smaller state and, and the way we went about it. But then there's states like South Dakota, and they literally tried to regulate it like a plant. Their ballot initiative, the last voting cycle, was literally, we're not going to tax it, we're not going to regulate it, it's just going to be another cash crop and a plant, have that. And, this, and, and that's the, the way it should state, be. I, I can wholly believe that it should be, but the people in that state were like, well, we also have like underfunded schools and infrastructure and roads, could we tax we it? We need money. <laughs> we need to extort the community a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and so that didn't get voted through, right? And it's, so it's opposite ends of the spectrum and, and somewhere in the intermediary between there is, is hopefully where it will land federally. It's interesting to see all these Petri dishes. Um, but in California specifically, and you mentioned something there and I just want to go back to it, do they really have access to like security cameras in these facilities yes. and businesses? They do? Yeah. Wow. Jesus. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> I don't like and that. the delivery vehicles mm-hmm. have tracking systems and video surveillance on them so they know what the driver looks like when the driver door opens the video takes video of the driver when the when the back opens up for distribution mm-hmm. that's also videotaped um and it's tracked so it doesn't make any unwarranted stops in between destinations it's like if a guy's got to take a piss uh <laughs> All right. Well, that explains it. We've always been curious. We're like, why? We know that there's a lot of craziness in California between like the gray market, <laughs> counterfeit product, everything. Like there's another crazy story that comes out of California every single day surrounding cannabis. Yeah. That explains a lot just in terms of like institutionally, the barrier to entry to make a successful cannabis business in California is nuts. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll give you another example. Yeah. Uh, we started our cannabis company in Santa Cruz mm-hmm. and um, 17 miles over the hill, mm-hmm. 20 miles over the hill is a company is a, is a, a community called San Jose, San Jose, California is right next to Oakland. Got it. So San Jose. Now I, I paid the city tax in Santa Cruz. I paid my distribution tax in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. I paid my states, my state tax to a state, uh, to a state, you know, facility in Santa Cruz that went to the state of California. Mm-hmm. But when we were distributing, you know, we've already paid all our local taxes. We've already paid our state taxes. It's all included in the cost of the product. But now we're distributing to the store to be sold. So we pack up our van and we send it over the hill to San Jose. And the city of San Jose goes, wait a minute. 
you just brought cannabis into our city. That's a 15% tax before it goes to the store. Just because you were, because you were bringing the product in there. Now you've already paid all your taxes there, but no, San Jose wants a piece of it too. Now, then when it's sold in the store, they get another piece of it. You know, now yeah. in San Diego, it's a little different. San Diego, they wrote in their law that as, as long as the cannabis was grown in San Diego, no transport fees, hmm. right? From store to store or whatever. Okay. But if you're from outside San Diego and you cross over from the Orange County line and you hit the roads in San Diego County, now you're paying a road tax of 15% just for driving onto the roads in San Diego to deliver the product in the San Diego store. This like reminds me of like the sheriff in Nottingham story from like Robin Hood, where you'd like go on everybody's <laughs> door and just be like, pay your taxes. And everybody's like, we don't have any money to pay taxes with. Like by the time you're done no. going, building a facility, getting investment, getting it done, getting it to transport, by the time it gets to the store, you're like, great. I, I'm now not, I'm just paying to have this business that's already expensive as shit to start. Jesus. No, what um, it is, it's, it's literally, it's state-sponsored extortion. Yeah. Um, Sounds like I it. mean, through, because, I mean, imagine this. You're like, you go to the city and the city goes, okay, you can grow in this one area over there. That's where you can open up your restaurant. And you're like, okay, I'm the restaurant owner, right? <laughs> and he's like, great, I'm gonna have a food delivery come next Thursday when I'm ready to open. And the way this, the city goes, wait, 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 you're gonna serve food in this restaurant? <laughs> you didn't tell us that. We're gonna have to tax you on that, yeah. you know? And then, then it's like, wait a minute, you, you want water? You, you want to be able to cook there? You want gas and you want electrical? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to send the city fire department in and we're going to have them go through the regulations that apply to your restaurant. Now, it might be different than the restaurant down the street serving pasta, but your restaurant's special. <laughs> and that's and <laughs> and that and that's really the way it is. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm obviously paraphrasing the craziness. Yeah. But the 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 end result is the same. Yeah. extortion is extortion there's no reason for it there's no reason for the extraordinary tax uh you know um liabilities that these companies are are working and operating under mm -hmm. and then at the same time when things start going south and black market cannabis starts going up in sales exactly. and they're going like why why we're giving them access to sell this legally I mean, granted, we're taking 70% of their money <laughs> that they can actually, they could pay their rent or send their kids to school. But you know what? That's what food stamps are for, you know? And in so, a state that's already not cheap to live in. So it's and, like. And it's in a state that's not cheap to live in to begin with. But the reality is, is that is the biggest drug dealers in California are the cities and the states because they're the ones with the money. They're the ones that can take the cash they can take the cash from this industry mm -hmm. and walk right into Bank of America with $10 million in cash. And they wave this Harry Potter, Harry Potter wizarding wand over the top of it. And they go, it's all like of its sins are, 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 are magically erased. So th this is not illegal drug money. Here's $10 million. And they go, thank you, state of California. That'll be credited right away to your account. Yeah. No fear of it disappearing or being confiscated by the federal government. Yep. 
But and they, the and cannabis companies make we're still fighting. <laughs> we're still fighting for bank access. Jeez. Well, that's, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, right? Access to banking and things like <sighs> Anyway, before we go too far down the rabbit hole, because the great, like, <laughs> I, we could literally make, it, we could make an entire mini series on like, how fucked is this? And it would just be like one instance in the cannabis industry where it's just like, that's that shit. Um, so before we do that, um, going back to, to the, the sentiment and the ethos and the legacy, we'll call it, of cannabis can save the world. Um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about hemp because um, Bruce is, has this project where he's making a hemp automobile again. Um, well, he, he continues to produce them, yes. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. What, what are some of the cool things um, that you've seen come out of this, just, just in terms of access to hemp in the farm bill? What are, what are some cool hemp products that you're turned on to um, okay. to see pretty cool? Developmentally, mm -hmm. I've seen one of the common things that, that everybody is fighting for today, toilet paper. I've seen amazing toilet paper made with hemp, uh, made by uh, a company uh, a, a, a legitimate paper, you know, toilet paper company did uh, a, a project with a friend of mine and they took um, his hemp uh, biomass uh, particles yep. and turned it into the most amazing hemp toilet paper. You know, Perfect. but in order to make it reasonable, you also have to have scale. Mm. You know, right? It's, 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 you know, it's the economy of scale. So if you want to make it affordable, you have to have scale. In order to have scale, you have to have lots of farmers growing hemp and the ability to process it. So that doesn't exist. So it doesn't really apply today yet. Yeah, got it. On the other side of this, same company who made the paper product for um, this paper manufacturer, mm -hmm. you know, or at least the, the, you know, the, the, the genesis of the material for this paper yeah. manufacturer, also makes um, chemicals that are extracted from the hemp plant and that has been turned into uh, things like sugars which could make anything from beer wine whatever yeah. uh, to anything like these graphenes that could do anything from making bulletproof vests mm -hmm. and armored vehicles or stealth air fighters mm. um, that this that this material is technically you know it's uh, stronger than than composites that are made today through petrochemical, yeah. uh, and can be made uh, using using hemp. The other side of this is that they've also figured out how to. And how am I going to say this? They have the ability to take cannabis and have it break down molecularly in a program time. So let's say that you wanted a piece of plastic to last for a month before oh, it started oh. to generate. Yeah, so like biodegradability. You can biodegradability. So, so it's programmable biodegradability. So you can, as during the process of processing the hemp, you mm -hmm. can process it to break down quicker or you can have it last for 300 years. Wow. It all depends on how you process it through this machine at that moment. This is crazy technology. That's awesome. Is there any regulation against um, producing like like hemp composites and hemp toilet paper? 
um, that you're aware of? Because we were just talking about barriers to entry in, in cannabis, THC cannabis, consumable cannabis. Um, are you aware of anything in the hemp side of the world that's, that's really blocking these industries from growing outside of the economies of scale? Because it's biomass, you need farmers to grow this. Sure. I mean, you're from, you're from Colorado, so you know. It, you know, you know the term, uh, you know, plants are growing hot, right? Which means that they're growing above the 0 0.03 uh, THC threshold. So this is all just a, a made-up number. You know, I mean, hemp and cannabis has always been the same. You know, whether you use it for industry purposes or whether you use it for commercial, you know, or, or, or personal use, yeah. you know, you would want to smoke you know, this other type of, of cannabis rather than the, you know, the sativa L hemp version of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so the FDA plays uh, a huge part in, in whether uh, this becomes a scalable product um, because if you're putting it out there for human consumption, everything has to be tested. Everything has to be verified. And for everything that you use it for, um, whether if you use it for a cat, if you use it for a dog, if you use it for a cow, you use it for a horse, you use it for a person, all of these are all separate tests. So you can't just do one test on cannabis and go, oh, it's safe. You have to do a test for each one, proven each one that it's safe for each thing and each application. And if you're gonna put it into a food product, you have to make sure that it's okay in that food product. And if you want it in another food product, you have to make sure it's in for that food product. Yeah. So, you know, there's this whole craziness in that. So, but this arbitrary number that they've attributed to what is safe hemp at 0 0.03 it's a number that they made up one because they probably felt that if they made it so tough that nobody would be able to grow it at such a low threshold so that was fairly safe and like let them go at it and then we figured out how to do it for the most part yeah. you know whether you harvested early or you bred it out or whatever it was but the reality is is like i don't know one person who would go out there and go man did you smoke that did you smoke that indica? That I was at like 1.2%, man. I can't tell you how I felt. <laughs> that shit was great. You know, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to be raiding hemp fields going, I'm rich. Yeah. Look at this. Look at all of this cannabis. It's all mine at 1% or 2%. And certainly not at point, point 0.3, right? Right. No. And we, we're talking about this all this time. We're like... <laughs> Where, where did that number come from? <laughs> yeah, but this is the stupidity that, that we're being left with because people aren't educated. They're, you know, the people that are still making decisions above what we do in, the, in public yeah. are still being affected by the lies and the falsehoods that created prohibition. And that's why this book is so fucking important. It's as important as you breathing today. It's as important as, as, as what you put in your body, it's as important because it's what you put in your mind that will change the future. It is what, it's what we need in order to take another step. Because if you continue to build on these same lies and falsehoods, then the foundation that you're building on is already broken. It is already fractured. It, is already, it has already failed. And you're still going to build on top of it. And at some point, that, fit, that failure is going to show up in what you're building. Yeah. And that's what's happening in cannabis today. Absolutely. And, you know, what we need to do is we need to educate ourselves. We need to educate ourselves as a community because the community elects our officials. And our officials go and they represent us at the city council. They go and represent us at the state capital. They go and represent us at, at, at the federal government level. 
So yep. if we educate ourselves and those that we, those that we elect to, to represent us in our districts, in our counties, in our communities, in our states, if they have the same knowledge that you and I have, right, mm -hmm. then, then we're working with an advocate. Yeah. Right? So you send your advocates there. And then when the community talks up and says, hey, we want to grow cannabis, we want to grow hemp, we want to do this, and they're like, you know what, I'm on your side. Yeah. You know, I don't think we have to extort because if, if you're creating jobs and you're paying taxes and you're creating wealth for people to go out and spend in, the, in an economic world where they're going out and buying food and clothes and sending kids to school and buying cars, this is an economic boom. We don't have to, we don't have to take it off the top and then tell you, tough luck, son, figure out how to survive from here. Yeah. You know, that's not the, that's not the American way. No, it's not. So. <clears throat> This book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, is more important today than the day that it was written. Mm. And because there are more things happening today in cannabis, in hemp, that can be altered positively by having more of an understanding of what it is we're fighting for. And it's not the goddamn all-American mighty dollar. Yeah. It's, it's for how we live and how we could live. Because we have the ability to to have not just us to be able to survive in a future, but to thrive in it. But in order to thrive in it, you have to understand what it is you're working with. And this book helps to tell you what that is. It helps to explore and give you the understanding and let you make up your own mind. So when you do talk to somebody who would stand on the other side of a table and be in your face and tell you all the things that you're wrong about, and you can say, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. What about <laughs> I think you're wrong. And here you go. You know? I think I'm going to start a campaign to get your book delivered to every single U.S. senator that we have right now. Oh, uh, we've done that many, 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 many <laughs> times. Did it work at all? Did you get any feedback? Um, well, I will tell you that in 1991, 1991, mm -hmm. the U.S., the, uh, the, the um, House of Representatives, Yeah. okay, mm -hmm. If you're a senator or a congressman mm -hmm. and you, you know you work in Washington, you have what's called um, it's it's a it's oh, what's the name of the company it, it's the it's it's a portion of the government that does studies for senators. So like if you if there's okay. something happening. I know what you're talking about. Oh, I can't think of it either. That's gonna kill me. We'll, we'll put a link to the Congressional that. Research Reporting Agency. There it is. Okay, so you go to the Congressional Research Reporting Agency and you say, here's the topic. I need to know everything about hemp. And yeah. they go, okay. And they go into their archives and they do all of the studies. Mm -hmm. So they did a study in 1991 because my dad was sending out copies of the emperors to every senator. <laughs> every, every time they were elected, every senator would get a book. That's or awesome. at least attempted delivery, right? So in 1991, um, there was a study done and it said, you know, there's been a lot of talk about hemp in the United States and making it a, a viable crop again, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. um, this is the study that determines whether you should bring it up on the floor and discuss it. And so the study, um, <laughs> the congressional research report um, said basically that Hemp, although could do many things, mm -hmm. um, most importantly, it was illegal. Um, 
but the the fact that it could be used for paper and fiber and fuel and all of this um, mm. that was incidental. The the fact that it was uh, illegal and therefore really couldn't be considered yeah. because they weren't going to legalize cannabis. But mm. during this one congressional research report on page two, mm-hmm. on one of the lower paragraphs, it says current. Uh, it says current issue, and it says current issue. Um, there is one individual uh, that is espousing um, the possibilities of hemp that it could be used for paper, fiber, fuel, medicines, plastics, and all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. he wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes, and his <laughs> name is Jack Herrer. <laughs> this is in the Congressional Research Report. And then, they, and, then, and then they go in to say, yeah, you could probably do these things, but it's illegal and nobody's really going to invest in hemp and there's really no money to be made there. You know, there's no money to be made in hemp. I can tell you right now around the globe, there are probably billions of dollars being made in hemp today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Same thing with cannabis. This is, you know, and they're, they're, in 1991, they're like, nah, nobody's ever going to, why would they ever look to hemp? You know, but hemp created Charlotte's Web. You know, hemp created what is, you know, Epidiolex for GW Pharma. You know, hemp created building blocks to build homes that are thermal efficient. You know, hemp created the clothes for our soldiers in the 19th, in the 1770s. You know, hemp was, hemp was our sales throughout history. Hemp is the works of art that you see in every museum around the globe. Hemp is the books and the Bibles that you can still read even if they were 800 years old. You know, hemp is that product. It's not that product like, oh my God, that's so dangerous. People are going to jump out of 10-story buildings if they come in contact with it and kill everybody. That's not what hemp is. Uh, yeah. It, it is incredible how persistent it is through culture. Um, yeah. Well, we're going about close to an hour here, so it, it is that, that's a perfect way to wrap it up because we started with like, what was what was your dad's legacy? What was you know ethos? And it is the cannabis to save the world. So ending on that note is. I, I have one story that I could, I'd like to share. Fire it up. And this will this will this will give you how important it is. Oh, I spoke in Kathmandu, Nepal, last January. Awesome. Top of the world bottom of the Himalayas, mm-hmm. bottom of Mount Everest. Yeah. And I was there for a hemp conference. And at that hemp conference, there was 25 nations represented there. Okay. And uh, uh, everybody took time speaking. I spoke, I came off stage and I was addressed by these two young kids that came over and uh, they said, I really want to appreciate, I really want to tell you how much I appreciate your father's book and the fact that you came over to share, you know, this information and, and continue this work. Mm-hmm. And I said, thank you very much for the kind words. Uh, you know, he says your, your father's book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, uh, you know, ha- has been instrumental in our lives. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I'm like, where are you guys from? He goes, oh, well, me and my brother are from Mongolia. Huh. And I'm thinking, my father wrote this book in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, California in 1994 and spread it around locally and started educating folks. And 30 years, 35 or 34 years later, mm-hmm. I'm in Nepal at the top of the world at a hemp conference and two kids from Mongolia come over and say that my father's book, and these guys were only like in their late 20s, early 30s. 
And my father's book inspired them to create a hemp company in Mongolia and change their lives. That is awesome. That is that's how powerful (laughs) that's how powerful this book is and how necessary it is today, right now, today, for us to take control of our future. So we're going to put a link on where you can actually get a hold of this book uh, for those out there that are linking and watching because this book is incredibly, incredibly important piece of documentation in this industry and, and where we came from. Know your roots, kids. Um, but just to wrap it up, because I think you, you have a very interesting position in the community as well as the industry to answer this question. We ask everybody we talk to, um, dust off your crystal ball a little bit. What is your one year, five year, and 10 year prediction from where you sit um, in the cannabis industry? What do you think the future is going to bring? I know it's always difficult to predict the future, but we always come back to them. So, all right. Uh, year one uh, turmoil, yeah. uh, devastation. And, uh, and extraordinary difficulties. Um, year five, um, I think the cannabis industry, be it hemp or cannabis, will start to thin out. Um, companies are going to fail. And the ones that are surviving are ones that are branded and, and financially stable. Okay. Um, big business comes in and does something that we can't because we don't have funding and they do. And once they come in with the money, they already have access to the, to the commercial, uh, you know, uh, spaces that we want to be a part of, but they already control those spaces. So the only way for us to compete uh, dollar for dollar with them um, is to figure out how to coexist with them. And sometimes that might even mean partnership with them. Um, year 20, um, you know, if you if you look at what's happening in uh, the food industry or in the pet or or in the uh, the soda industry or the beer industry, is that they are all eating their young. You know, they're all they're you know if you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken owns Taco Bell, and you know, yeah, you know, Carl's Jr. has the green burrito, and McDonald's has X, Y, and Z, and Pepsi, you know, Pepsi Cola might have Gatorade, and you know and Aquafina and pure whatever, you know, all of these companies continue to um, buy up other companies and make them part of their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that in large part is going to be the future of cannabis, uh, unfortunately. And yeah. I think um, yeah. many, many, many people in the cannabis industry are going to be um, just worker bees in it, mm. you know, and because I, I don't think that governments or industry are going to allow people uh, like a farmer, uh, like a brand to exist and have a voice um, because uh, we shouldn't be able to put a seed in the ground, put some water to it, and then end up being powerful with a voice that could change the world because that's what their money does. They know better than us because they've already made that money. And if we want to come and play on their field that, uh, that that is, you know, we're going to have to go learn to play by their rules. But just like in basketball and football, sometimes rules change. You know, there wasn't a three-pointer at one time, then there was. Rules change. You know, there was unnecessary roughness, and now, you know, I mean, there wasn't unnecessary roughness, and now you can be ejected for a a hard foul. So things do change, and there are ways to coexist. 
I don't know what that really looks like. I just know that it's going to be difficult. Yeah. <clears throat> that's, um, I'll, I'll say that that's a less optimistic outlook than we typically get, but I think that there's some honesty to it. So I do, I really, really do appreciate it because I've, I've kind of had that sentiment for a while just saying like, yeah, like what you said, you know, with, with fast food and beverage and, and corporate consolidation, you know, that if, if people don't think that that's going to happen, that's naive or naivete. People follow the almighty dollar. If they see a dollar to be made, they'll, they'll go after it and they'll go get it. But I do have good news. Mm -hmm. So like anything, our future is not set in stone. Yeah. You know, but it takes energy in order to change things. It takes energy in order to keep the right things being spoken about in public. It takes a will of, this, of these people. It takes the will of this community. And this community is a loving, giving community. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've spent my life um, since I was 10 years old around the cannabis community. And I fight every day for it. I fight every day. It was the reasons why I put out this book. It's the reason why I have the Jack Howard Foundation. I fight in it because I believe in it. And I don't believe that it's set in stone. But as a society, for the most part, we can become very complacent and very lazy, like things should be given to us. And because we've had so much access for so long, we feel entitled. And yeah. we have to get away from that. We have to realize that we still have a voice and there's still work to be done. And if we exercise our voices, that we can still change what it is that's necessary to build a future that doesn't belong to corporations. Yeah. But if we don't do it, just like global warming, if we don't do what's hard, if we yeah. don't do what is necessary, then we are yeah. signing our own doom. Yeah. No, and <clears throat> I, I, I think that's kind of what's interesting now is you do see, you do see the ones that are in it for the right reasons doing well. And you do see the, the smash and grab campaigns out there <clears throat> then <clears throat> having a little bit of difficulty trying to navigate a community that is so vastly different from other industries. So I think you're absolutely right. You, there are, we can change the rules. The history book has yet to be written. The great American cannabis story is only in its second chapter or even maybe yeah. still in its first. Um, so yeah, we have plenty of time to, to make the right decisions and, People can vote with, with, you know, something as easy as, as a like on social media or a share or something just to, to continue the conversation in the right direction. So I agree with you. Just remember, cannabis is about community, not commodity. And if we build our companies with that thought process, mm -hmm. we have a much better chance of being able to, to make it by. And, yeah. and, 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 and grow it forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Um, this is no, an awesome you. conversation. We'll have to get Bruce on at some point. Cause I'm, I'm very interested about the hemp car. Cause I know that that was a thing that Henry Ford was doing before free for madness and all that crazy bullshit. Um, so we'll get Bruce back on, but I appreciate your time. Uh, how can people find you? How can people find the book? Um, most okay. 
on Amazon, mm-hmm. the emperor wears no clothes for Kindle. Now, Kindle, the app can be put on a Samsung, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could be on a Galaxy phone, it could be on an iPhone, it could be on an iPad, it could be on a desktop. The app itself is can virtually apply to any electronic device, and yeah. you can get an electronic interactive version Ooh. of The Emperor Wears No Clothes for $9.99. Okay? So any, anything, anything that's printed in the book or in the, in the app that is in black ink is original text. Anything that is blue has been added because I didn't want to change my father's original words. Sure. And, and you could literally tap into and see videos of, of things that have happened throughout history. Mm-hmm. You can watch the, the 58 minute documentary on who my father was. You can see the, the 1942 hemp for victory film that the U S government made after they made cannabis illegal in 1942, they legalized cannabis again for the war effort and created mm-hmm. a film called hemp for victory. And you can watch that film where the government almost tells the truth. <laughs> it's really extraordinary. <laughs> you know, and, um, and then you could also look into the future. You can look into Bruce's cars. You can, you can hear testimonials that cannabis and hemp has changed people's lives. You can look at the things that are happening today, the new technologies that are emerging. All of these things are in the hyperlink sections of the book, which are throughout the book. So as you're reading something about 1942, you can then hit a hyperlink in that and it can take you into the future. It's really awesome. Nice. Well, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out um, and I'll probably do a review of it. So. And it's also available on print to order. So it'll never be out of print again. You don't have to buy a $200 10-year-old copy. Uh, you can buy a brand new copy for $34.95, delivered to your door within 10 days, printed, ready to go. Excellent. Well, we'll be adding that to the library for sure. Um, and we'll be checking that out. And again, Dan, thank you so much, my man. Uh, this is a great It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, and they're, they're literally, we just scratched the surface, so we're definitely going to have to have you back on. Like we were talking about before, when we're in the Canavan, when we make it down to LA, we'll definitely have to have to sit down. and. I look forward to it. Yeah. Excellent. And we're back. It's always so interesting for me, and I think just in general, to take a look inside the brain of somebody that grew up with somebody very, a a huge activist and somebody very well known. I mean, almost anyone in the cannabis industry can at least tell you that they've heard of Jack Hare as a strain name. There you go. Um, Maybe they don't know the full history. Maybe now you do. Yeah. So I guess for me, it's exciting to to get the details and to see the perspective of, of one of his, I believe, six sons or children. Sorry, children, They're not yeah. All sons. <clears throat> no, it it's uh, it's incredibly interesting. It's like again, you know, I can only kind of go back to Aaliyah Bowles, who again, very interestingly, is you know, I was like, what's your relationship with the plant? She's like, meh, you know. I grew up around it, so it's like tomatoes for everybody else. I just don't take it that seriously. And it's interesting, too, you know, when he talks about his father being a little bit too extreme for, like, the normal movement of the 90s, 
you know, when you look at his one, five and 10 there at the end, that's, that's not what people want to hear. People want to be like, no, man, where's the sunshine and daydreams? You're harsh and my mallow. Dude, that is so me though. (laughs) I'm like, it's cool, bro. It might be legal. It's going to be legal in like a year. Yeah. And so it is, it's, it's interesting having that perspective, right? From somebody who did see, you know, I'm sure that's what they were saying in the sixties and seventies. Like, Come on, man. Like, it's just grass. It's going to be legal, bro. <laughs> and here it is, 2020, and we're still fighting. His, I guess the book turned 35, he was saying, this year? Yeah. Um, so it's it's been so long. This fight is just dragging out. And to know that the United States government legalized it so we could use hemp during World War II and then re- put it back onto the schedule on narcotics pain in the dick this it's whole like, government thing we got yeah going and on then here. you see um we were talking to somebody recently and they were like yeah how funny is it that like overnight it's like oh curbside delivery and, or curbside pickup and delivery we can do that like overnight it's essential you're like up oh, just stroke it into the law already this like <laughs> bickering of old white men that just can't get over the hippie movement of the 60s and they think mm. they're so fucking but right so- Dan is revamping his dad's book. Is this? Yeah. So he talked at the end there about the Kindle edition of the book. So you can download it on Amazon. I believe $9.99, he said. Um, And the cool part is, so you you can download the Kindle app on any smartphone or any device, really. Um, And you can go through his dad's original text, everything in black and white. But he's added text that he highlights in blue. Um, but then there's also interactive stuff in there. And, and he mentioned the documentary uh, about like hemp for victory from world war two and stuff. Nice. So, I guess yeah, I finally have to get a fucking Kindle. I've yeah. held out for so long. Cause I'm like, no, I want the feel of the pages in between my fingers. And well, you um, can still get his book. Yeah. Uh, 34 99, I believe you said. Uh, so yeah. Can we def- sell it on our Mary Jane experience marketplace? We probably can. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's a really cool story and it is that side of the industry that we need to remind ourselves that like, it's not all sunshine and daydreams. Like California's fucked. Like various states have been fucked. Ohio didn't even pass it because their, their legislation was so ass backwards. Um, so it's always, it's great to fly on cloud nine in legal states, but it's always important a to remember where you come from. And B to remember that hey, this fight ain't over, and sometimes we got to get ourselves in the trenches, the good fight, and get ourselves a little dirty, and make sure that you know it's better for the generations to come. And that was whole, his dad's whole thing. That's now Dan's whole thing with uh, the Dan Harrow Foundation. So I support it. That was interesting as shit to listen yeah. to. Well, and and we're always going back to one of the best ways that you can support the movement is education, and yep. I think that. Uh, clearly you know reading someone's book like that and supporting someone that that is super passionate is cannot be a bad way to go no and and he talked about you know that was his whole dad's thing which is why he was sending senators copies of his book yeah (laughs) literally just to be like hey hey wonder if any Um, of them actually read it i doubt they're like there's a weed leaf on the cover go fuck yourself yeah maybe not anyway so again very very interesting conversation it was great to talk to somebody with such a deep rooted history in yeah. cannabis activism and legalization definitely go check out the book definitely go check out uh the kindle version because it's very very cool very interactive um and that's awesome 
Yeah, we got some upcoming shit, by the way. BT-dubs. We are doing a can- another cannabis-enhanced meditation Ooh. with the co-founder of Consciously.org. So I'm super excited. He has traveled the world. He's lived with monks. He's done a lot of interesting psychedelic things, ayahuasca ceremonies. Still want to try that. Yeah, I mean, I do too. I'm nervous, but I do. <laughs> so that's coming up really soon. We have, we're starting a Meet the Founders series. So we're interviewing founders of cannabis companies live on YouTube. So you can ask them anything you want. We're starting with the founder of My Bud Vase. She's fucking awesome. She's Doreen. She's got a great story and she's a female founder. So we always love that. And, um, We also, Father's Day is coming up. We put out our Father's Day gift guide, and we thought it'd be fun to give you guys a little special treat. That's right. A little special treat. Father's Day, first thing you should do, wake up. If you're near your dad, high five him. If your dad is not around, give him a virtual high five um, or an air high five from afar. He can feel that energy when you push it. Dads love high fives. Dads love high fives. That's all I know about dads. No matter basically. where they are in the cosmos, they love the high five. So use code high five. That's right. H I G H five for 5% off your order at the Mary Jane experience marketplace. Get your dad something funky for Father's Day. Come on. Yeah. Or just get something up. for yourself and take advantage of a discount. I don't, we go. don't care. <laughs> but, like, you know, the idea is to get it for your dad. How fun would it be to just show up on Father's Day you've never smoked with your dad before and, like, break out a one-hitter and be like, hey, dad. The time has come. <laughs> I'm giving you a high five. It's 2020, <laughs> Pops. We're going to get high together. Um, um, so yeah, but we've got some cool shit. I mean, we've got, um, if your dad's into cigars, we actually have CBD cigars, so hemp and hops, which is a great way to get your dad into cannabis without having to get him high. As Dan Harris said, cannabis is hemp, hemp is cannabis. So hemp, same, same. Is, I don't know how it's going to change the world, but it's the only thing that can. Yeah. So I mean, get your dad a hemp cigar. That's a great play. I was going to ramble, but that, that was a beautiful little ending there. So yeah, We'll just leave it there. Yeah. Quote um, from Mr. Jack Herr himself. Again, thank you to Dan Herr for taking the time to talk to us today. That was an awesome interview. Like, subscribe, share. Again, a vote is just as simple as liking and sharing and interacting with this content so we can change the conversation about hemp and cannabis. They are the same thing. We can carry on Jack Harris' legacy through Dan Harris' efforts and ours. Educate, procreate, don't elevate, hate. and don't hate. That's right, everybody. Masturbate. Ah, I mean, if you got it. Maybe if you <laughs> Definitely do. Jesus. Because everybody's got it's it. Quarantine. Actually, okay? I, I think the world love. would be a little bit better place if everybody was just encouraged to, you know, just give, her, just wrong give her a little tug every now and again, you know? Okay. Nothing. Anyway, <laughs> on that should we start a sex job. podcast? Okay. All right. You convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Done. Sorry, everybody. We love you so much. Thank you for listening as always. And peace out. Potheads. Good night, stoners. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We love you. <laughs>